I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the Test Drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And today, I want to talk to you, Austin, about some of the technology that we have in our homes. I did realize when I was, I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about this episode, and I thought like we, we are surrounded by this technology that we have in our living rooms, in our kitchens. And when I think about stuff that we test, like these are products that we've decided to live with for long periods of time. So that's something that I want to cover later on in today's episode. Uh, but I have some news headlines that we should go over first. Uh, the first is, we, I don't know, we're getting towards conference season. I feel like all the conferences are getting announced, which is, this is kind of the time of year under normal circumstances when, you know, like March into April, when we find out about, you know, Apple's conference, Google's conference, all the big companies. Uh, WWDC 2021 has been announced for June 7 to 11. Um, It's going to be all virtual again, uh, as we would expect. But, I mean, Apple did a great job last year with WWDC. Absolutely. And it was one of the first events to to go virtual, right? Because Google canceled I.O. completely, which yep. made sense for where they were because they were earlier. I think Google I.O. was like a couple of weeks earlier. And they yes. they canceled it in like very early March when it just, you know, no one really knew what was going. Like it was just everything was going mad. So they were just like, all right, we're just going to cancel it. And then mm-hmm. I remember there was a few weeks where everyone, like Apple hadn't said anything. And it was kind of like, surely they're not doing this. Like, you know, what's <laughs> going on? It, and obviously they, they were spending a couple of weeks like, confirming because at that point in like early march of 2020 we didn't really know what was happening we didn't know what was going to happen so they were like collecting themselves and worked out this plan for like a just a really excellent wwdc event so they're doing it again uh i expect it to kind of be bigger and better you know like they've they should have learned from everything last year um i expect maybe more developer outreach more like one-on-one developer sessions that kind of stuff but I'm super pumped for the the video event anyway. And I mean, I think it's it's hard to understate how good that Apple event team is and how yep. good their video team is, right? Because yep. you think about something the scale of a WWDC or an I.O. I mean, I have, and I'm sure you actually have a lot more experience with this, but like I've had some experience kind of behind the scenes on watching as these events put, are put together and stuff. I mean, it is months and Huge, months yeah. and months of work. It's not like in March, you know, you completely rip up your playbook and restart that that's a normal thing, right? I mean, in March, if you're three months out from an event, I mean, you're like deep crunch time. You know, you're putting assets together. You're really kind of getting things sort of fine-tuned. The fact that they were able to do that last year and have it to be so successful and so interesting, uh, literally in the middle of the pandemic is crazy to me. Yep. And I have very high expectations for what they're actually able to do with more than a few months of oh my god frantic <laughs> please please we have to put an event together kind of uh kind of prep work yeah because their events in the fall of last year the production values were just bananas like when they Crazy. built that entire house set and stuff oh. and so like i expect you know that wwdc is gonna it's going to look great and i also wonder you know because the, the thing about wwdc is it's not just the keynote it's also the sessions that they produce and right. last year 
they produced all of these sessions and you know they were really trying to they were working on skeleton crews because nobody knew how to film anything right but this wwdc i mean i expect a lot of apple's engineers will be fully vaccinated so sure yeah. i'm sure that the the content itself could look very different um to to what what we've seen in the past i i don't expect that they will have any media at the event no way i think it might be the last event apple will do this year where they don't have any media yeah i mean we were talking a little bit about this before the show but i mean the way that this year is shaping up and how quickly things are changing I, if you would have asked me, yeah, two or three months ago, I'm like, oh, there's no way any in-person events are happening in 2021. Are you crazy? But now at this point, I, especially for a company like Apple, right, who, sure, you know, you have the splashy keynote and you have, you know, the headlines and everything, but there's a certain element of not being able to have that in-person experience of, you know, people touching that new iPhone, touching that new iMac, touching this new Apple AR glass, whatever the case is. Well, that's the big thing, right? Like that that headset, like I, I read a report about this, that apparently they don't want to launch their AR, VR headset product until they can have people there to try it on, which makes so much sense for a product like that, right? They yeah. need They need people like you to make YouTube videos saying... I've tried it. It's mind-blowing, right? Rather than just reacting to what Apple's showing you. Like, that, that, that mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing where they want to put these things on people's actual faces, uh, hopefully very nicely sanitized, and, <laughs> uh, and, and, like, get that. Even if they make it very restricted, very small, but it, it makes a lot of sense, I think, for an event like that to occur. So, you know, I expect that will happen. And honestly, the September iPhone event... I could very much imagine uh, a smaller U.S.-based press contingent uh, it being at that event. That, that seems very, 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 very likely to me at this point. Yeah. Like if we're looking at September, October, I don't see that being a problem personally. Yeah, I agree. It's gonna be really interesting to see because we also have E3 coming. Although, yep, straight on the back of it, this is old <laughs> school, man. I remember back in the day, like when I was first going to WWDCs, like E3 would like just overlap or happen just immediately afterwards. But yeah, so WWDC runs June seven to eleven, E3 twelve to fifteen. <laughs> it's like straight <laughs> away. The thing with E3, though, is that, uh, like WWDC, a completely virtual event, although last year, E3 just didn't happen, right? They, they I remember E3, they, they basically, they pulled, the, they made the wrong decision. They held on for too long. Yes, yep. Like, they, and, and they left it too late. They didn't give themselves enough time to, to do anything. Um, and plus, they had the rug pulled out from under them anyway, because there were all these other events. And they have for years, I mean people were saying last year that like that cancellation is the death of E3 because so mm-hmm. many companies work on their own thing um, and or like side events that are happening at the same time, you know, like Sony get the theater down the road, right? And it's just not even a part of E3, but they're just taking advantage of everybody being in that place. Right. But it's going to be all virtual. Um, and according to the press release, it's going to feature content from Nintendo, Xbox, Capcom, konami ubisoft take two and more i was in s- very uh intrigued to see nintendo and uh microsoft in this list because i mean nintendo i mean nintendo's done the treehouse stuff at yeah. e3 for years 
um, but they do their own directs, so maybe it's going to be something like that. And and I I would assume maybe Xbox will will be the same. Like none of these companies need E3 to put on a video presentation for them. So I expect that they're kind of just like I don't know throwing E3 a bit of a bone really, and just like all right, we're going to do our own events during that period of time, but then we'll yeah. also have some content that we'll be putting through your platforms. I think it's one of those things where E3 is this such a long tradition, right? And it's like it's such a well-timed event where, you know, you you announce your stuff at E3 or you show off the stuff that you had previously announced, you know, in that summer time frame. And you know that three, four months later is when things really start to shift. Like it's a good time to talk about a lot of this stuff. And especially after the last year where, yes, you know, there was a very much a trend away from E3, right? And yeah, we absolutely did a video on This Is talking about is this the end of E3 last year when it yep. was canceled, right? Because E3 had been on this kind of like sort of downslope over the last few years. And mm-hmm. like you said, Sony and other people were either removing themselves from the conference or kind of splitting off and doing their own thing. I do kind of feel like, though, that the last year has been a little bit of a reset button on that. I wouldn't be surprised if after all the turmoil and the craziness of the last, you know, 12, 18 months or whatever, maybe something like E3 has a little bit more of like a focused future where it's not just like, you know, they're trying to keep the doors open and they're opening to random fans and just trying to do anything and everything they can. But there's a little bit more of an incentive for companies like Nintendo and and Xbox and all of these various different developers to have like, okay, you know what, we're going to say that this is at least the one time of year where we want to try to gather everyone around. It might be smaller than it was in the past. Certainly this year it is all digital, which is probably going to really mean that it's just like everyone's coordinating their launches on the same days, but like there's not really any, you know, I I don't know if you're going to be able to watch this at e3.com or likely it's going to be streaming and whatnot, but Mm -hmm. it does kind of feel to me like this is a little bit of a consolidation of the fragmented E3 experience into something where, look, this is going to be the week where you're going to find out about all the new games, PS5 exclusives, Xbox exclusives. I mean, Sony's not technically there, but you know they're going to be watching. You know they're going to have something around this time so they don't completely get like sort of washed out of that news cycle. Talking about um, Xbox, did you see that Grand Theft Auto V is coming back to Game Pass? And xCloud. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. It's good, man. The game that will never die. Dude, what the, I just, it is crazy to me. So we actually have not seen the Xbox Series X and PS5 edition of GTA V that was yep. announced last year, I believe. Yep. But it is insane to me that that game originally came out on Xbox 360 and PS3 at the very end of that life cycle. But that was, what, 2013? And it is still going and still being developed. I mean, this game will still be played, like, I expect of as somewhat... Well, at least, well, I don't think will be replaced before it hits 10 years old. I totally agree. Right? There's not going to be... I don't imagine a GTA 6 appearing in 20, the, uh, 2023. Like, because we've heard <sighs> nothing about one. I mean, there's always basic rumors. I'm sure, you know, in 2014, there was a small little contingent inside Rockstar. That, okay, let's think about oh, GTA sure. 6 or whatever. But, I mean, it's a game that makes them so much money. It's a game that they have continuously updated. It's not like... 2013's version of GTA 5 is no. just what we all play today, right? Like, it has been so constantly evolved. But it is wild to me to think of how many ways GTA 5 has been everywhere. I mean, wasn't it free on, on the Epic Store? Was that a year or so I ago? Think so. I think I mean, so. It's just, it spreads and spreads and spreads, which it's a great game. And, you know, honestly, I actually am really ready to replay it. I have never 
played through the main story of GTA V since I first tried it on the Xbox 360 uh, back in 2013. I've, I've never replayed it. So I did it when it originally came out, and then I played it when it came out on PS4. Mm. I've played a little bit, but I never played through the story, right? Like I played through the whole story, you know, that first you know week or two on the yeah. 360. Which, of course, you know, <laughs> GTA Five, if, if if you know everyone remembers, was a incredible game that was able to run on that 360 PS3, right? Like absolutely mm-hmm. incredible that they were able to get that entire experience down to those consoles. But I mean, that game ran at like 20 FPS. It was. It, it looked great, but man, it was not a well-performing game. It was one of those, like, they were absolutely squeaking everything out of it. I'm pretty sure that was the game that on 360, you had to install one of the discs, and the second disc was there, and it was, like, literally reading from the hard drive and the DVD at the same that time. That sounds about right. It's crazy that that game, from all those years ago, is now finally getting its PS5 patch. I would have loved to talk to 2013 Austin and go, hey, you know, new <laughs> PS3 game? Yeah, you're going to be playing that in, on the PS5 Two with the remastered edition. of console. It's going to just continue living on. Do you have, uh, do you have any feelings about LG uh, being done with smartphones? Sadness? Yeah, I mean, it is a shame, really, because they've been doing such wild stuff, like the wing. Yeah. You know, that's just gone now. So this was something that had been rumored for a while, honestly. Yeah. I mean, even back at E3 when they, or sorry, at CES, or actually, I guess the virtual CES technically, mm-hmm. when they had talked about that rollable, right, where they were pre-announcing yep. it, it had a little bit of an air of like, you know, that last gasp of like, hey, we're, we're, we're coming out with stuff, you know, it don't, don't, don't count us out. But there were so many rumors. Because they've been talking for a while about wanting to make their smartphone division profitable. That's been like the the saber they've been rattling um, for a while. And basically it seems to have been decided that there's just no way for them to do it, which makes me kind of wonder about a bigger question. Is it even possible for a company to do what LG wanted to do now? Like is OnePlus the kind of exception to the rule of being able to to rise up and make a profitable business, assuming that OnePlus is a profitable business in <laughs> smartphones. I like, can you come out uh, and try and attack Samsung? Like, can people actually do that? Sure, I, I will say I have a lot of mixed feelings on this. Right, so I was pretty close with a lot of the people on the LG side. We did a lot of stuff. I mean, I was I was helped do some of the launch stuff for the Wing, like. I really liked those guys and they had done a lot of good stuff over the years. In talking with some of them and some of the other sort of people in the tech space, I very much get the impression that LG smartphones was a little bit sort of overwhelmed by the weight of being such a big company and trying to sort of compete in such a broad number of spaces, right? So LG on the surface has a lot, or I guess had a lot of the same advantages that Samsung did, right? A lot of that vertical integration where you've got LG display making the panels, you've got a lot of different divisions of LG, which it's easy to kind of forget on the outside, but like LG isn't really just a single company, right? I mean, like, you know, LG display makes uh, TV or makes panels and they sell it to LG TV department who then Mm -hmm. actually puts those panels into TVs. Like, it's like a bunch of companies that are kind of loosely attached with the LG name, but they're different, essentially, companies on the inside, right? And I think there were certainly some 
some dysfunction perhaps, especially when you look sort of uh, kind of with the benefit of hindsight at how competitive some of the LG phones were, right? You know, the last year or so, they really were trying to put out some very unique and interesting devices, but that was on the the tail of years of, of decent, okay, reasonable phones. But like they had really sort of the last four or five years had really kind of defined themselves by the niche stuff, right? They were trying to do you know, push the cameras forward, which was good, but they weren't ever like amazing blow your mind kind of cameras. They would push stuff like, you know, keeping the headphone jack and, you know, having the quad DAC on it. And they had these sort of like niche features, but similar to, I think, where Sony is right now, it's a smartphone division of a very large company. It kind of buckles under the weight because if you look at it from, okay, look, I'm, you know, the head of LG, I look at, you know, all of the various different divisions. I'm spending how many billions of dollars on smartphones to get, what, 1% market share? Like, that's just not sustainable. Whereas if you're a smaller company, if you're punching up, you have that, you know, potential growth. You're not limited by, I got to use that LG panel on my smartphone, which might not be the best. Like, you have that less sort of unencumbered experience. I do think there's potential for smaller companies to succeed in a way that LG kind of feel like it sort of was crushed under the weight of the the size of the company that was attached to. I think LG have had, that is a very good point, by the way. Um, and, and I think LG have had this thing attached to them for years. Like, I feel like every phone I can imagine, I remember LG bringing out in the last, I don't know how many, maybe five, 10 years, it's always kind of been this, but why would you buy that one? Like whether they were making yeah. the stuff that was like samey, like mm-hmm. regular, you know, and then it's like, why would I buy that over all these other things? And also kind of when they were doing things like the wing, like, why would I, why would I buy that one? You know, like it's, it's fun and weird, but like, do I want that? I think that might have been the problem. And and I honestly think for them, when it comes down to the like regular phones, like, the you know, the more regular smartphones that they used to make. Probably just a branding issue. Oh, yeah. I just, when you look at OnePlus, right? Yep. One of the very smart things that they did as a company was start out with the flagship killer brand yep. and that very heavy focus yep. on the hardcore Android community, right? Like it was cool, right? Like if you were in 2014, 2015, you had a OnePlus, you were cool because it was one of those things where if you knew, you knew. It wasn't something that you could walk down to your carrier store and get. You had to order online. You had seen it from an MKBHD video. Like there was a real sort of groundswell of building out this new brand. And of course, there were the ties to the larger overall conglomerate. And, you know, obviously they were able to save a lot of money and be able to be part of something where they weren't literally building everything themselves when it comes to design and whatnot. But like, it was one of those things where they had that sort of niche that they started out with and they could grow it. Whereas LG was kind of like, for a little while, I mean, they were very competitive with Samsung, right? Maybe they were never, you know, absolutely destroying Samsung. But there were uh, several years there where, you know, you would go buy a G3 or G4 and it was similar. I mean, I I don't know if you remember when they did like the G Flex, you know, when Samsung started curving the displays, LG were right there curving them in the other direction, which was ultimately probably the wrong direction. (laughs) But there there were things that they could do. But I I agree. I, I think... At the end, they had kind of fallen themselves into like, well, the reason to buy an LG phone is because we have this niche feature of the headphone jack or whatever the case is. But there was never an overriding thing in a way that Samsung could do because Samsung just had muscled their way through to have that dominant market position. They had not only a even more vertically integrated stack where they were making the chips and the RAM and the SSD, like they were making 
almost all the components of the phone in-house. But also they were so big and they had such huge sort of market pull that there's only one Samsung, right? You can't just replicate another Samsung and be worldwide. And that's really what LG needed to do. If they couldn't be Samsung, that smartphone business was ultimately never going to be big enough to sustain itself when you have, you know, how many ever billions of dollars are being spent on every other element of the company? Why were they going to be wasting and ultimately losing money on the smartphone space? It's sad, man. It's sad because they had a lot of great phones. They had a lot of potential. Obviously, so many people had LG phones as their first device or, you know, used, I mean, even like you look back to like a lot of like the Nexuses and stuff like LG had such a huge part to play in, you know, the last decade, even longer of phones. It's sad to see them go, right? It's never a good thing where we're not going to have those weird, quirky designs that, you know, maybe weren't for everyone, but they were certainly for some people. And now that we've lost that, I do feel like we kind of, the smartphone space is a little bit, you know, worse off because of it. So it's, it's a weird one, man. It's a weird one. I think one of the sadder parts of it that I actually saw, I think I saw some, some suggestions or rumors that LG was trying to sell off the division and couldn't find a buyer. Which makes sense. I mean, it's tough. I mean, who's right? going mean, to want it? But still, you know, like, there's still, I don't know, there's still, I, I, there's something about that that's just a little bit sad to me. But who would you sell yeah. it to? Like, unless LG had a bunch of intellectual property that was really valuable, I mean, everyone just looks at what happened to Motorola with Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's hard to detangle something like that because yep. you know that if LG were selling the smartphone division, they're not going to sell the LG brand, right? You're going to get like the assets. You're going to get the de- yep. the developers. There's some stuff there, but it's not like anything that is completely and totally unique. And, you know, when you look at something like Motorola, you were able to purchase that brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like obviously G- Google sold it to Lenovo, right? So they're still selling phones under the Motorola brand. Like there is a whole sort of ecosystem there. If LG are trying to just sell off their smartphone division, Short of some like Google, maybe right. If Google was really trying to build their thing out and they didn't they already wanted have those engineers, they wanted to tech or whatever. But yeah, but I don't think the they need of, that now. <laughs> the amount of buyers for something like that is really limited, especially considering that mm-hmm. the various strings attached and all the overhead. It, it's just sad, man. I mean, look, everything has its expiration date. You know, you got you got to look on the positive side of look at all the great things that happen. But it's it's. It's a weird space. I don't think this is the last of the big companies that are going to kind of consolidate down, right? I think the smartphone space was such a huge growth area for so many years. And I still, obviously, is very, very popular. But I think we're going to see more of this consolidation, right? Where it's like, you're not going to have 25 companies who are selling you know, reasonable smartphones. You're going to have mm-hmm. four maybe five, right? There's going to be the OnePlus and the the Apple and the Samsung. And there's going to be a handful of companies, but I don't think we're going to see that, you know, massive amount because it's there's no more like green pastures to build smartphones, right? I mean, pretty much anyone who wants to make a smartphone is making a smartphone right now. There's not the scale of things. It just makes it prohibitively expensive to try to actually get into that game today. This episode is brought to you by... Technology Untangled. I've said this so many times. I love finding new podcasts. You love finding new podcasts too, right? Well, I have a great one for you. It's hosted by Michael Bird. Technology Untangled is a show that deciphers tech's rapid evolutions with one simple question in mind. What's really going to shape our future and what's going to end up in the bargain bin alongside floppy disks? Past guests on the show include people from Google and Sainsbury's, Aston Martin, Red Bull Racing, which is obviously a big thing for me in Austin, uh, Gunhilly Earth Station, the New York Times, Nokia, and many more. And they give you real insight, real deep dives into 
really interesting parts of technology, like 5G. So why does it work? Who does it work for? What does it actually do? What does 5G mean for you? You can find out on Technology Untangled. They also talk about how supercomputers are helping us fight against COVID by sifting through billions of molecules to look for drugs to repurpose, along with AI and the future of jobs, and episodes on energy, innovation, and mission to Mars. You are spoiled for choice. I checked out the supercomputers episode, which I really was very fascinated by because I think this is a phrase that I know, but I don't really know what we're using them for today. Like, our computers are so powerful. Why do we still need supercomputers? And so it explains what makes them so powerful, why these advantages still exist, and how AI is, of course, only accelerating it. So this episode really breaks down what it is that actually makes a supercomputer super. So you can search for Technology Untangled anywhere that you listen to podcasts, and we'll include a link in the show notes as well. Our thanks to Technology Untangled for their support of this show and Relay FM. So talking about F1 last time of as course. well uh obviously we spoke about drive to survive i'm sure many of our listeners now watch drive to survive if they haven't already there has also since been uh the opening race of the season in bahrain let's take another quick diversion and talk about formula one <laughs> again look 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 we're the test drivers again this I is feel the driving got, part we got good feedback i will say we got good feedback yep. on the f1 stuff last episode yep. i know we had talked about it like ah we want to kind of do it. Maybe we'll put it at the end of the episode. But I feel like a lot of people enjoyed it. So look, we're going to take a quick diversion. I don't think we're going to do a race by race you know, breakdown no, of the whole not. year. But, you know, uh, we'll Mike dip and I in want to talk out. about this. We're going to dip in and out. <laughs> so how did you find the first race? Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Super One of the good, best right? races. Yeah, it was. So, okay, for, for listeners who have not maybe watched F1 for long periods of time, or maybe haven't even ever watched it much at all, right? You maybe just seen a little bit of Drive to Survive especially the first epi- or the first season of Drive to Survive, one of the things that really made it so interesting was it made it so much more interesting because F1 is a sport that is not inherently the most competitive in the world, right? I mean, there's a very clear hierarchy of, you know, there's a couple of teams who can win a race, right? There are, uh, you know, a handful of drivers. Like, most years, every single race is won by two three people like it's not like anyone can have a shot and you know there's very clear hierarchies of if you have Mm -hmm. a slow car you will short of everyone else crashing and you know some one in a million sort of circumstance you're never going to win that race right Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason why you know last year when Gasly won was like an unbelievable like oh my god kind of moment it's not just like oh this dude won his first race congratulations like I mean winning a Formula One Grand Prix is an incredibly prestigious thing that very very few people ever get the opportunity to do yeah, if you win one in your career, you go down in history of having won one. Absolutely. Right, like you're remembered, you're in the history books. And it's one of the things where the shakeups in the competitive order are very rare, right? So for context, Mercedes have won the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships seven years in a row, which to be fair, I think is actually the longest streak of dominance. I know Ferrari had, I think it was actually, Ferrari had six or seven back in the, the early 2000s, but regardless incredibly rare to have this kind of thing. And it's like, there's very few shakeups, right? When you can win seven things in a row. But this year, this year, with one race down, right? So obviously, sort of, everyone take it with a grain of salt. We're early. There seem to be some shakeups, right? Mm-hmm. Red Bull are faster, at least at the moment, the Mercedes. And that has not happened in a very, very long time. Yeah, I mean... So what ended up happening was uh, Lewis won the race, so for Mercedes, uh, and Max Verstappen came in second. 
which was not what a lot of people thought was going to happen going into the race weekend. People, everybody was, except me, thinking Max was going to win. I, I will <laughs> say my prediction was that Max wasn't going to finish. Like I thought he was going to have some kind of disaster, which for a yeah. while it looked like might have been possible because he was complaining about something on the car. Um, but, you know, so, and, and really I think what I ended up winning out the day was just strategy and experience on the side the of Mercedes limits. and yeah I mean but the track limits thing is like I, I don't really I don't really doesn't really hold much water for me um <laughs> you know it's like this is one of those things that comes up a, a lot in Formula One uh they everybody takes advantage of the rules which is the way it's always been if there's right? a gray area in the rules though that will be exploited similarly yeah. to if you can protest something you will Right, like <laughs> the rules are as much of a player in Formula One as anything else, right? And the way that the teams work within and on the fringes of the rules. Uh, maybe I'm just a biased Lewis Hamilton fan, but whatever. Um, wow, wow! I see how it is. I see I'm, how it is. I'm a big fan of Lewis, and and so like I feel like a lot of the people complaining about the track limits thing aren't. Is the way that I take take that from the criticism of the race, but nevertheless, like. Lewis won, but really only just, right? Like oh, only barely. It was down to the final lap. And I, I can't recall a race last season where that occurred. Maybe once, but it wasn't between the top teams. It was on one of the weekends where some disasters mm-hmm. occurred, right? And so like, yep. it was all shaken up. But like, you know, down to the last few corners, it was not known who was going to win that race. And so. I think that there is a lot of intrigue and excitement in people as to whether that's going to be a consistent thing we're going to see every week now. Because it's so different to not have Mercedes be clearly the fastest and everyone else be chasing them, right? And Mm -hmm. only, I mean, the last few years, Mercedes only loses when they have, you know, a a failure or... Yeah, yeah, or someone actually puts the wrong set of tires on. Yep, yep. There's a big screw up on Mercedes' part, not that some other team has gotten an advantage on them as such. Exactly. But this year, so far through preseason testing and the first race, which again, it's early, uh, Red Bull seems to be the comfortably faster car. And it really was down to strategy and Lewis's sheer driving ability Mm -hmm. that they were able to squeak out the win here. I think we're in store for a very, very good season. So again, just floating it out there. If any of the test drivers are, are listening, you're you're thinking about F1, you maybe watched a little bit of Drive to Survive or something. This season is shaping up. It has all the elements of what could be one of the best F1 seasons in years. We'll have to wait and see. Who knows? Maybe Max just wins the next 15 races in a row and it's boring again. But like this is not something happen. that happens often, right? This is I something don't think that it's it feels like happen. it's uh, okay, okay, okay. So we talked about this before, right? Uh-huh. We're going to make some predictions uh-huh. on the record, right? Uh-huh. After watching the very first race. So yep. everyone in the audience can hold us to this or not. Up to you. But no, they we're going to make some bold predictions. Yeah, we're going to make some bold predictions. Hopefully neither of us have to eat an Xbox or whatever we were talking oh about God. last year. <laughs> eat a tire. Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, All right, so let's actually start with that. Who do you think is going to win the season as driver and uh, constructor? I think Mercedes are going to win again, but I don't think it's going to be close. It's, I, no, I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be a foregone conclusion three quarters of the way through the season, right? Yes. If I were going to make a big prediction, right? I think Mercedes will win, 
but I think Max and Red Bull will take them to the last like couple of races to really decide, right? Like it's mm. I don't think it's gonna be one of those things where, you know, five races before it's a foregone conclusion and you know Lewis takes off three races and he still wins. Like I think it's gonna be much closer. I think we're gonna see a much closer like kind of win count versus, mm-hmm. you know, with you know, Max and I feel like uh Checo will also win a race this year. I think is a, a not a wild uh sort of prediction. But yeah, I I, I still think the power of that Mercedes team is there. But mm-hmm. I will be very happy to be proved wrong. And if we're, you know, talking about this in eight months, whenever the season's over, and I am wrong or we're wrong about this prediction, I won't be massively surprised because Red Bull do look incredibly quick right now. Yeah, like I was wondering, like, what would it take for Lewis to win the season? Is there any possibility Red Bull could win Constructors? Because it, it will depend on Valtteri just having a like an uncharacteristically bad season and mm. Checo really pulling it out. And it looked like, I mean, what did he finish? Fifth, I think? Which From is dead last? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, yeah, irrespective of even the fact that he went from dead last, which is just incredibly impressive, just like looking at the performance of Red Bull's second drivers of the last two years, that is a vastly superior performance uh, mm. to those guys in that seat. You know, Gasly and Albon, both great drivers when they weren't in the Red Bull car. Yeah. Yeah. And so that I think that there's a thing there. And I think it potentially it needs somebody who's a lot more sure of themselves, a bit more experienced, which it seems like Checo what which we know Checo has. And I I'm wondering how that's gonna translate because if he can get some podiums in and maybe as you wanna predict a win or two, I mean, Red Bull could be much closer to the constructors even than Max would be to Lewis. There's a possibility of that, right? I agree. Yeah. So I guess prediction number one for me, Mercedes win, but Red Bull make it very, very close. Okay. I'm going for Lewis and Mercedes. I, I, I think the what we saw between preseason testing and the race was a vastly improved car from Mercedes. Mm. Yeah. I think that it is very much in the realm of possibility that the improvements will just continue. And so yeah. they will be able to hold Red Bull off. They, I, I think that the fact that they have not, they've not made a huge jump on them in in the beginning shows that it's not going to be like the last season or two, because I think you know they, you can only really be so incredibly dominant if you're dominant from day one. I don't think you can find that dominance like just you know because there, as you say, it is so much of the marriage between the car and the driver, and it seems like the benefits that Mercedes have made have been outweighed by the benefits that Red Bull has made in that same time period. So I, I think that that I think that they will do it, but it won't be as comfortable um as as previous years, especially last year. Yeah, absolutely. But we do have some more detailed predictions. You've I think you've yeah. given away a couple of yours, but what are your we're gonna make three predictions now for the rest of the season. What are yours? Okay. So, Lewis and Mercedes win. Like mm-hmm. I said, Red Bull comes really close. I think Checo will re- win at least one race for Red Bull. And I think that there's going to be, by the end of the season, some major shakeup at Haas, right? Whether it is Mazepin gets fired and they lose funding, whether it's that they sell the team, whether it's the team goes under. That team is a powder keg, especially, I yep. mean, it's hard not to have this opinion, especially after watching Drive to Survive. But like, they're in bad shape. They're basically running their 2019 car at this point because they barely developed it for last year. 
and then they really aren't developing it for this year. They've gone from like being a decent midfield team to like they're going to be like a second behind Williams every week, right? I mean, they're going to be hanging off the back. I think that they're going to be dead last this year. Absolutely. Which will be great for Williams, finally, yeah. <laughs> you know? But I, I, I feel like there's going to be some major shakeup, whether it's, you know, like a, a particular driver maybe getting, uh, not making it to the end of the season, mm-hmm. or just the team imploding or something, or being purchased, right? There have been rumors uh, about some potential, especially now there's the cost cap in place of manufacturers or companies wanting to get into F1. And I guarantee you Haas are running right now mostly on the strength of the fact that they owned that, you know, those two slots on the grid. And, yep. you know, that that's not something that is, you know, low value, right? So if a manufacturer wants to get into F1, if anyone wants to try to get into F1, it seems like it's not a crazy proposition to just purchase Haas, buy them out, whatever yep. the case is, and take over their grid slots. So those are my three predictions. I think when we come back and we talk about this at the end of 2021, I feel relatively confident that my predictions are are good. I'm mm. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Where are you at right now? Well, I have a couple of questions on your predictions. One, a okay. comment that I'll make is like the the cost cap, which is like basically there's going to be a fixed budget for that you can't exceed uh, from mm-hmm. 2022 in F1, which has not been the case before. I think that that could just cha- change the sport in a lot of ways. Like we could see, as you say, some a company buying in because they know it's only going to cost them this amount of money to get in, right? Um, but also, I could imagine. I don't know what the possibility would be, but like additional teams, like being added. Yeah. Yeah. Right, it could could happen. As far as I'm aware, like there isn't like a fixed amount of teams. There is, but it's 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 higher than there are right now. It's yeah. like 14 or 15. There, there's certainly there's potential for more. Because I just know that when I was a kid, there used to be more than the. Do we have 11? Mm-hmm. No, 10 teams right now, right? Yeah, yeah. And I knew that there used to be more. So mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, right? Like if a, a company might have been eyeing it for a while and like, okay, so now we know how much this is going to cost us. Let's Give it a shot, right? Well, I mean, it's easy to forget that none of the teams are profitable and have not been profitable. Even Mercedes, the championship winners, back to back to back to back, they still lose money. Mind you, they've gotten to the point where they lose a very small amount of money. And obviously, the marketing benefits are enormous for their parent company, Mercedes. But even then, these companies were not profitable. Ferrari, I mean, look, Ferrari has, you know, spent, I don't know, four or five hundred million. I mean, the amounts of cash that these teams have previously spent is crazy. But with this cost cap, it brings it much more in line with a lot of other sports that actually have, you know, there's a was 160, 170 million pounds. There's there's some hard limit where every team cannot spend over that. And it's one of those things where a lot of the smaller uh, teams were pretty much already at that budget, right? So it's no longer this huge gap where Mercedes can just outspend and have five times the staff of the the Williams of the Hasses of the world. So I think it's a good thing. I agree. I think that will that has a lot of potential to shake things up and make an F1 an actually sustainable sport where it's not just, oh, this is a I want to have a race team and I'm gonna burn a giant fortune every year to make sure that it yep. stays running. Um and your Perez winning a race, this isn't part of your prediction, but I just want to know your thinking. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Perez wins a regular race or do you think something happens and Perez wins the race? I think he will win a race with a little bit of luck. I don't think it will be a straight, you know, he'll sweep the weekend and everything. I think he was going to be up there in contention the whole year. Mm -hmm. And all it takes is someone to slip. He'll get some podiums. I'm confident of that. Right. Yeah. Same. But like, imagine like, uh, Valtteri spins out 
or something, right? And you know, like Perez can can get in or something. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it gets a bit of a bit of a shoe. All right. So my predictions: George Russell leaves Williams for another team. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on right? that. Right. Valtteri leaves Mercedes. I see where this is going. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not tying the dots here. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Aston to get on the podium twice in the season. Ooh, that, ah. that final one is purely me wanting it to happen. I mean, that livery, that green, man, I, I, I feel you on that. It's a great looking car. I've got a, just a great sense of British pride for that team, man. I can't <laughs> let it go. Even though none of, like, none of the component pieces are British, right? You've got a German and Canadian driver owned by a Canadian billionaire, but it's Aston Martin, man. They've got the Union Jack on there somewhere. I know. It's well, it's the entire color, right? It's like a new interpretation of British racing green. Like I can't, I just, I love it. Like I really love it. And I want them to do well. Like, because I had a lot of love for Racing Point. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of like their can-do attitude as a team, you know? They're like, Who of course have rebranded as Aston Martin yeah. this year. Same team, different livery, different mm-hmm. brand since Lawrence Stroll, the owner of the company, also owns Aston Martin. So, you know, it just kind of makes sense to sort of- You just pushed it, you smushed them all together- which, yeah. you know, you're saying earlier about, like, if other maybe car manufacturers want to get into it, I think Aston Martin is the, per- the showing that, yeah, you might want to do that if you're a car company, right? Absolutely. Lawrence Stroll thought it was a good idea to marry those two things together. And so yeah. I think it would make sense and that there is something. So, I mean, Renault do it as well, right? Like, there are other car companies that might want to get into this as a way to market their consumer vehicles. Especially now that it doesn't cost you a half a billion dollars a year exactly. to run. <laughs> Yeah, you can fix it, and you know, and you can say like, "All right, we think we'll be able to project this amount of market benefit for us," and then also we can sell sponsorships. So, I will say I agree with two of your three predictions. I think George will not finish this season with a continuation of Williams. I think that's a pretty safe bet, and I think Valtteri. It's probably about time for him to really spend this year planning his next move. Right? Mm-hmm. I think. It makes a lot of sense for George to get the call up to Mercedes, especially See, how he that's performed the last dots year. That I'm not tying, right? Is that I really? think Valtteri, I think Valtteri might not have the option because they will bring George Russell into Mercedes. I, I, I think that's a safe bet, right? I think that's a safe bet. George gets the call up to Mercedes for next year alongside Lewis. If Lewis continues, which I do think he will, I, that that seems safe. Aston, mm-hmm. though. I'm not that one super is pure like that one. I want, right? Like I am projecting my my want into a prediction. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like I will say as well, after the first race, I I the teams that I have a real soft spot for this year are Aston and uh AlphaTauri. Mm-hmm. Because I mean I loved Pierre's story last year. Um yeah. and uh Sonda, Yuki Sonda. Uh Sunoda. Sonoda, that's it. I keep calling him Sonda. I keep getting his name and Honda mixed up. <laughs> Sonoda. He's new, right? Like, benefit of the doubt. I've only really known of this guy for like three weeks. Yeah, uh, Yuki yeah. Sonoda, he... Oh my God. He's so charming. Like, I loved all of the interviews that I saw with him. And also, he is a beast in the car. Absolutely. Right? Some of those dive bombs that he made Ooh. on that first race... When he came from like a mile back and passed Alonso, I was like, are you kidding me right now? And he made it look so effortless. Did you see the interview where he was saying like he was just like freaking out as he did that because uh, Alonso was his dad's favorite driver? 
So Alonso has been a bit of like a role model, like a like a hero mm-hmm. figure for him as he was growing up, and he got to pass him on his first Grand Prix in a spectacular fashion. I mean, just right? that overtake was like there was so many ways that he could have just crashed both cars there, right? He just yeah. absolutely just sent it. Uh, it was also great because Yuki is uh, the first F1 driver born into the 2000s, right? So Yuki is only yep. like 20 years old. So. Yep. And it's great to have someone from Japan back on the grid. That's been a long time. And I think he, you know, he ended up, he's now in the very small group, like comparatively, of people that have scored points on their first uh, Grand Prix. Which is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that Alpha Tower looks good this year. Yeah. Um, but between Yuki and Pierre, I mean, they've got a very strong driver lineup. And uh, I don't know, if I'm Checo, I'm probably looking a little bit over my shoulder now of like, well, We'll see how, how many uh, years have I got in this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's um, gonna want to get those podiums. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to love Yuki, though, man. I mean, oh, look, I, know. I I've been following for a little bit, and I'm just like, the dude is just is so he he's not only is he so funny, but like, he's so like kind of he's always kind of making fun of himself. He's I think the by far the shortest driver on the grid too. So it's right. like it's it there are so many great memes. Look, Yuki's gonna have a good year. I have a lot of confidence in that, and I am absolutely rooting for him. I don't know how far he'll be able to go in that Alpha Tauri, but man, I'm so excited that F1's back. I'm so excited that we have what is shaping up to be an excellent season. And I hope that this enthusiasm is infectious to the audience. I don't know how much we should talk about F1. We'll I guess actually, if, if, people, yeah, if you guys want to let us know, uh, give us a little feedback. If you want us to give, maybe sprinkle a little update here or there, but uh, just know that Mike and I are going to be talking about this before and after the show yep, for all year do. long. So, <laughs> <laughs> and like, look, feel free. Like, if you want to tell us, please don't do this anymore. Like, don't don't worry about that feedback. That like, we want to know it. Like, it, it's helpful to gauge it. Yeah, absolutely. Twitter is your friend in mm-hmm. at least this particular instance. I don't know. About yeah. Overall. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and paying too much money with big wireless providers, it's no wonder we're skeptical about new deals. So when you learn that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month, you might wonder, what's the catch? But once you learn about them and their service, it actually makes sense. There isn't a catch. Mint Mobile's secret source is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. By cutting out retail stores, there's no wild overhead costs to get passed down to you in the form of mystery fees. Instead, Mint passes just a sweet savings directly to you. For people looking for extra savings, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service for just $15 a month. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your phone of any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts and you'll be able to switch and get that premium wireless service at just $15 a month. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Austin, can you tell the test drivers listeners just how fast it is to get set up on Mint Mobile? It is incredibly seamless. You get the SIM card in the mail, pop it in your phone, and in a matter of just a few minutes, not only do you have your service up and running, but you're saving that money, right? It is such a no-brainer. Why do you need to spend all this extra cash on mm-hmm. all the bells and whistles when guess what? You get all of the things you need with Mint Mobile, including that super fast 5G speed. 
to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get that plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash test drivers. That's mintmobile.com slash test drivers to cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash test drivers. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk about products, technology that we use at home, whether it's quote-unquote smart technology or not, you know, because some of the home tech that we use, I mean, I'm thinking about maybe, well, you can kind of choose. So like you're looking at TVs, you can maybe run them as smart or not. But I wondered about what are the things that we've decided on to be in our lives on a daily basis, because this is stuff that we live with or have lived with for longer periods of time, sometimes than the smartphone that we use or whatever, right? Like a lot of this home tech, I think, at least for me, you probably agree, it doesn't get upgraded with the same kind of frequency oh, yeah. um, as some of the other stuff that we use. And I have a few different categories. So security, entertainment, smart assistance, and lighting. I think these are kind of the biggest quote-unquote like home technology stuff that people tend to buy. What is your overall... Because I know, like, I think you recently moved, right? So I assume mm-hmm. you've been thinking about this a little bit more than most. What's your current approach to kind of tech at home? So it's changed a lot. So where my previous place, I had a lot of stuff in there, right? I had, you know, Nest. It was mostly Google, right? So I had uh, a lot of Google assistants, Nest. It was pretty much sort of I had the, the hues and everything everywhere. And you know what? I actually was happy to not set that stuff up when I moved. I actually have – I am living a much dumber life than I have in probably six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And I don't hate it. Look, there, uh, we'll talk about the devices. And there are still, of course, some smart devices in my, in my house. But I felt like the advantages I was gaining out of some of the, the specifically like having like the, the Google Assistant and some of the, the light stuff in the house wasn't huge. And it always gave me this icky feeling. We've done a video. Well, actually, we've done several videos on it in the past. But the amount of data that is being collected, the amount of recordings, like when you go back through and you listen to your random Alexa or Google recordings that are saved to your account, the, the random conversations that get picked up and... Uh, yep. Mm, mm, yeah, it's, mm. that's, a, that's, an, that's an upsetting thing to look through. What I like, though, about the Echoes is you do actually get to, to look. You know, like other companies, like Apple, you don't you don't know what they are. They don't, they don't surface sure. that to you. Of like, these were all of the times you accidentally triggered the phrase word and then mm-hmm. you know we heard you but realized this wasn't something that needed to be actioned on like we worked out that it was fake you know like a fake kind of thing that maybe it was right. not said correctly but like at least with the echo you can you can delete them too right like which is another thing and google will allow you to do that as well yeah right, yeah but- apple doesn't and, and that really bugs me about uh the siri stuff yeah which i uh, to be fair i do think siri does allow you to decouple that, right? So like, you know, on my Google account, on my Amazon account, I'm looking through all of my recordings and stuff. I feel like the way that Apple allow you to set it up with the privacy stuff where you can actually decouple that. So it's not like, you know, someone at Apple grabs your Apple ID, pulls your recordings. Like it's a little bit sort of separate. So uh, they do I a mean, good job. It's yes and no. So one of the reasons they did that is because they got caught out um, that this stuff was getting sent to a company, uh, a contracting oh. company to be listened to. So they made right. it an opt-in. But there is some of it you cannot opt out from. Um, mm-hmm. You cannot. You you can uh, opt out from humans listening to these things, but I don't believe you can opt out of them being assessed by uh, AI. 
Ooh, what you opt out of is is human review because that was the thing they got in trouble for. Right. So yeah, there's a lot here. I guess Mm -hmm. the going into it though, I live a dumber. My my house is dumber than it was in the past, and I don't miss it. So because there's a couple of things about smart home technology that are pitfalls you can fall into. Like one, it's a it's a newer form of technology, so a lot of the stuff isn't completely fully formed. Yeah, yeah, and you are in a lot of instances replacing something that works flawlessly with something that doesn't work all the time, right? Like mm-hmm. you're thinking about lighting or whatever. Um, and I think a lot of people that listen to the show could probably sympathize with this. You are maybe the nerdier person in your household. And so you care about this stuff more than the other people that you're now subjecting to this type of technology at home. And that can be frustrating for the people that you live with that now to turn the lights on, they can't just Mm. use the switch anymore. They have to ask for the lights to turn on. And there are benefits and disadvantages to that. Like sometimes people really dig it. Sometimes they don't. And they're like, you know, lighting changes in my house have been like, everybody's really cool with that. Like me and my wife like it. Like we like having the lights and can activate them with our voice, but it definitely hasn't been the case for everything where it's been super smooth sailing and everyone's super happy about this piece of technology that I brought home. And that goes for me as well as everyone else. Right? Like sometimes I'll change a thing and be like, this has made everything markedly worse. So those products don't stick around. It's a it's a tough space. Mm-hmm. It's a tough space. Yeah. So uh, that was actually one of the big reasons why when we moved, uh, we didn't really set up a lot of the other stuff. Uh, my wife, maybe Google listened to her seventy percent of the time, and right. it was very frustrating to like yell at Google three times to turn on the lights, whereas mm-hmm. it worked perfectly for me every time. So there's certainly that. And I will say my setup right now is very fragmented. Like I was mostly on the Google ecosystem before. As we go through this list, I've got a bunch of randomness everywhere. Nothing works well. I have 10 apps on my phone. So even what I have now, it's not really an improvement either, right? It's one of those things where I feel like there's probably a consolidation pass on a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I guess we should start with the security side of things. Yeah, because I think security (laughs) is actually a good one because the home security space is otherwise really expensive and difficult. Um, yep. if you're going with one of the more established companies. And so companies like Ring and Nest give, I think, more options uh, to the average consumer than had previously been available in this category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually what I've switched back over to. Actually, mostly due to insurance reasons, but um, I right. do have one of those like old school, full security systems at the house, at the office, all that kind of stuff. Which is fine. And I know a lot of the companies have brought out, you know, apps and everything. A lot of it's not very good. Uh, yeah. Like I have like some of like some of my stuff is run through literally like a DVR in my closet, which has this janky app to connect. Oh, my I mean, like, God, no. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, yes. I have an actual box in my closet with hard drives and everything in it. Like, uh. It's not great, right? Look, I, I again, like I said, not super happy with where it's at right now. I do yeah, also have I mean, there could a, be like a privacy angle with that, though, which is better, but... No, 
It's it's no. just bad. It's just okay. it doesn't work well and it's expensive. But yeah, uh, something I want to deal with later. I do also have a Ring doorbell camera though, mm-hmm. um, which I actually been pretty happy with. Um, it's one of those things where due to my wiring, I didn't want to have to hook up like a, a transformer or whatever to make it work. So I've just got the one. It's running on battery. Uh, happy with that. It works well. I don't like the fact that that's the only Ring product I have, which means that I have again yet another app to check notifications for and whatnot. But that that actually is something that works pretty well for me. Yeah, I I mean, it is worth just mentioning right up top that there is this prospect of the all of these companies talking together. They like all signed this agreement, but nothing has ever come from it since. It's called like mm-hmm. connected home over IP, where, you know, like Amazon and Apple and Google all signed it with the idea being that all of these products would talk together. But that was announced and then nobody's ever said anything since. <laughs> I mean, like, this might be just one of those things got put in the back burner because of COVID. Right? Like, I could imagine that, right? Like, yeah. But I really would like to see more on that. Um, so I have I have kind of two setups. I have a home setup and I have my out-of-home studio. Mm-hmm. And at home, I've been, we have been using a product for years called Canary. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's just a little camera and it's got... Uh, a speaker in it and an alarm and stuff and some temperature sensors and stuff like i've actually been thinking about wanting to move away from canary for a bit because they have never really added to their product line Mm. and that's just seemed weird to me like all of their competitors update the products you know like here's the product number two with better this better that and Canary have never done any of that. So I like I wonder, are they long for this world? Like I'm I'm not sure, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. you know, I pay we pay a subscription to them. A lot of these apps you can uh pay subscriptions to where you get like free tiers or whatever. But for something like this, like I pay the subscription so we get the the video recording saved and stuff. Um, and I do like that there are options now that I know some friends use that like you can do this stuff with HomeKit or whatever, like mm-hmm. and just create get these cameras and then it's all saved, like better encrypted and stuff. If you trust maybe Apple more than Company X or whatever, but um, and then at the studio we have the full Ring security set that they have, like so it has door and window sensors, motion sensors. A uh, full-on alarm and alarm panel and all that kind of stuff, like, and, and that's really good for that space, you know. So the doors both have their sensors on them. The window has its sensor on it. Um, yeah. it, it can trip it and that kind of stuff. And so, like, it, we've got a couple of cameras in there as well. So that was really good because I was looking for a full system, and I was actually surprised at how, you know, like I was, I thought, oh, I wasn't to look. I think I'd, oh, I'd look at Nest and Ring. And I remember at the time, like the the options that I could get from Nest was nowhere near as complete as the options that I could get from Ring. And that is actually my old setup was the Nest's, uh, was it Nest Protect? Protect. It was was fine, but it was very expensive. And in fact, it's actually since been discontinued. I think Google now pushes you to sign up for like, I don't know, like ADT or something. One of the more like established companies. Yeah, it was fine. And it had some of those things. But yeah, I agree. It was one of those things where I wanted to give it a try and it worked okay. But there's always this kind of disconnect between these alarm systems that, you know, well, give you a notification on your phone versus actually call the police or, you know, actually has someone, you know, monitoring it. So you certainly get different service tiers when it comes to the security systems. It doesn't seem like the full-on, like, alarm sort of ecosystem is anywhere near as established as, you know, the cameras and the, the little bit more lightweight devices in the, in the security space. 
Oh, I think Nest Protect is the smoke alarm system. But Nest oh, did right. have a home security system that alarm was one it was of called. the I think yeah, it's probably called alarm. And it's just one of the things that went by the wayside when Google kind of integrated Nest into Google again. Mm-hmm. That is a brand that they have messed up so bad. <laughs> so bad. Like of all of the things that Google do screw up, like the, I think they've really not done a great job with the whole Nest thing. Like Nest should be more of a leader in this space, I think, than than they are. And it seems like that they're now trying to get back to that point by integrating it and like basically making Nest the smart home brand for Google in its entirety, right? So like the Google Home is now Nest, right? Like those products Mm -hmm. have become Nest products and the Wi-Fi is now Nest Wi-Fi. So like they're definitely doing a better job again. I I would like to see Google get a lot better at this, especially with the Nest stuff um, and and hopefully see them kind of take more of a leadership. Um, Because I don't know, I actually... I know people might think this is uh, a silly thing to say, but I actually trust Google with security stuff more yeah. than yeah. other companies. Because this is that argument that people make about Facebook as well, right? Where like, Facebook's got my data, they're going to sell my data. Like Facebook and Google are companies that are never going to sell your data because that's what <laughs> they want. They want it for themselves. Why sell it when you're already using it? <laughs> exactly. If they sell it, they lose their advantage. Like they they want that data. And like there are there are real questions around a lot of this stuff, as you mentioned earlier. And I think that it is always worth like finding a balance for you of what you're willing to accept. Like most technology products these days is like, what am I willing to give up for what am I willing mm. to gain? And yep. home home smart home stuff is definitely one of those things. And like I know that like Ring has had their fair share of controversies, but I needed to secure my studio space, right? Yeah. So it's like, that's what I was, I was willing to give up to gain, which was an affordable way for me to, to manage that security on my own. But yeah, I would love to see Google really get more of a foothold again into this. And I do hope that like the kind of integration and then for later proliferation of the Nest brand again might be a bit of a restructuring from them. I mean, look, you got to keep that Z Flip nice, safe, and secure in the studio, man. Like, yeah, exactly. That's top priority. It's nicely tucked away there. Um, when it comes to entertainment, what have you got going on, like TV and, and home entertainment system, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so nothing too crazy. Uh, so I do have an LG a CX series, uh, a 77-inch OLED, which is very, 77, very 77, nice. boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got the big one. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's something that uh, we got, I guess it would have been last year. So it's the model that has like G-Sync and 120 hertz. Although I don't use any of that because actually I have nothing plugged into the TV. I actually, for the first time ever, use the smart features of the TV built in. I don't have an Apple TV, nothing plugged into oh. it. I use WebOS. Uh, so what is, what is your experience? I know that like one of the great things is like all of the apps are there, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's, what is it? There's like HBO, I think might be one of the only things that's missing from it. But yeah, no, it's great, right? Uh, obviously, most of my time uh, watching TV is spent in YouTube and YouTube TV. And then you've got like Netflix and it has Apple TV built in now. So it's easy to yep. like airplay stuff to it. And that's that's pretty much all I really need. We do have it connected. So I have a an actual custom like home, uh, like a 5.1 setup. 
for the stereo. So I have a Yamaha. It's an RX V385 receiver. It's just a it's a 4K60, you know, HDMI 2.0 receiver to to run everything. Um, but yeah, it's not a crazy setup. It's the, it's just the TV, it's the receiver, it's the surround sound. I do also have, uh, an older OLED, which is actually in the other room. And actually that's one of the things that I have tested the new Chromecast. So I don't know if you've tried the most recent Chromecast. I believe that came out last year. No, I've heard, I've heard about it. I've heard about yeah. it. Yeah. It, it's no longer like the old school Chromecast, you know, where you just could only cast. It actually has like a remote and it has full Google TV. Honestly, really really nice right like it's basically apple tv or the fire tv thing now right like absolutely that's, that's what they've ended up going for i would say it's much closer to an apple tv right because you have it, it tries to do the same thing that i feel like apple was doing but didn't fully commit to which was it pulls data from all of your streaming services and puts it together right i don't have to go into netflix and into hbo and into youtube and twitch and everything it pulls a lot of the shows i've been watching a lot of the recommendations onto like a central sort of hub. And obviously you can jump in and it has all the apps and it runs, I'm pretty sure it's running some version of Android or it's, there's there's something like that underneath yeah. the, the scenes because I think it has the Play Store, I believe is where it pulls apps from. But regardless, I'm actually really impressed with that Chromecast. It does 4K and the remote's actually really nice. It's like an Apple TV remote, except not bad. It's got so, buttons. It's got more buttons. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, the entertainment setup. What about you? So for TV, I'm, I also have an LG OLED. I have the 48-inch one. Nice. That's the new one that you got yeah, last the, year, the right? Yeah, the 48-inch one came out last year because we got one of the 50-somethings. I think it might have been 55. And we ended up needing to return it because it was just too big for our living room. Oh. Where we had the server. That was one of the saddest days of my life, Austin. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the big TV, I unpacked it, sat it down, started watching it. and watching it, and it's like, oh, you know what? This is this is too much. Like this is we're too close for this. Um, <sighs> so we we ended up going with the forty eight. It was just so sad to go back down to. I had like a what we were replacing. It was like a forty two inch Panasonic. Um, it was an LCD, I think. Mm-hmm. And going from the fifty five inch OLED back down to the forty two inch LCD was just. It was. <laughs> it was so sad, man. So when they when LG announced that forty eight inch, uh, every couple of weeks I was just checking like, is it available now? Is it available now? And like as soon as it hit in the UK, I bought it immediately and absolutely <laughs> adore that television. Oh my god, it's so good! It's everything about it is fantastic. Um, yeah, we do use the Apple TV as our main um, kind of television consumption uh, box. If I didn't have the Apple TV already, I would have. I would use the smart stuff like you because mm-hmm. i think really these days i don't know why anybody would buy a particular hardware device because it's all about getting the content and all of the content is everywhere so i don't know like unless like you say you were like a big hbo max person you might want to get something for that but and um, we were as well for a long time using a pair of home pods as the apple tv speakers but this has been nice. incredibly unreliable for me. Like it's fantastic ah. when it works, but it's been really unreliable. And I've been told of some different troubleshooting things that I should try, which I, I want to try. But I'm kind of on the fence about this here. Like I want to see what Apple does next with the Apple TV, um, because I think they're going to do something at some point, and I'm just intrigued mm-hmm. to see what that will be. But other than that, like I'm, we're going to make a change of like I want now that we had a long time where we had these really great speakers. 
uh, going back to the TV speakers, which are really yeah. good on the LG, like legit, like it's the best TV speakers I've ever experienced. It's just not the same. Um, mm-hmm. So we've been looking at sound bars, but I haven't found anything that I was super happy with yet. Um, so, you know, I'm just waiting to see here. Like what, what I really want to see Apple do is turn the Apple TV into a sound bar and then maybe I can get everything that I oh. want in one, in one thing. Um, Interesting, yeah. But uh, who knows? Uh, when it comes to entertainment, that's like the biggest question mark. Uh, my PlayStation 5 is plugged into this TV. Ah, yes. I do not have, again, nothing plugged into my TV. It's literally, it. I have an HDMI out to my receiver, the end, and a power cable, I guess. <laughs> Where is your like PlayStation plugged in? Do you have one at home? Yeah, it's upstairs on the older OLED. So that's the thing. Uh, the older OLED doesn't have like 120 hertz and everything. That's fine because I don't really care. So that's where... I mean, so few games actually do still. Exactly. Yeah. And honestly, that TV is mostly... I, I don't play a ton of games at home, <clears throat> as we mm-hmm. maybe have discussed in the past. Uh, most of the gaming that's done on that TV is my wife playing the Switch. So right. there you go. Okay. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by SyncUp, a OneDrive podcast. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, SyncUp takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive so you can learn about how to connect your files, share your documents, or work from anywhere, and you'll be able to get to hear the design and development side of things too. Every episode covers a dedicated topic with guest interviews featuring news, announcements, and a special topic as well outside of the technology norm. And this is like a great mix-up. This is the kind of thing that I like in my podcast. I like a bit of variety. Like we have variety in this very episode of the Test Drivers, right? Different types of topics that we're talking about. I like to get my kind of horizons broadened a little bit. Um, on every episode of SyncUp, you can expect topics like automation, data security, and remote working. One of the episodes I checked out recently went deep on how you can make Microsoft Teams work within your organization. Considering all of the new challenges that we have facing us in remote working, which I think are going to be here to stay, it's a great discussion on how you can use tools like Teams to keep everyone on the same page while being distributed. So go and check it out right now. Just search for SyncUp wherever you get your podcasts. That's S-Y-N-C-U-P or just click the link in the show notes. Go check it out right now. Thanks to SyncUp from Microsoft for their support of this show. And Relay FM. What about so? All right, for, when it comes to smart homes, all of this stuff is typically controlled by a smart assistant, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think for a lot of people, that is for, for us. You, you choose your smart assistant, and then the products you buy, you want to connect with that assistant. And yes. something that I have been trying to do recently is like try and find stuff that works with both uh, Alexa and Siri, because they're the two products that we have at home. I am more likely to default to the Echo because that has kind of won out at home. Um, like that is the, the the smart assistant that my wife prefers to use because she finds it more reliable. So my wife is uh, originally grew up in Romania, so she has an accent. And the Echo does far better at recognizing the things that she wants to say that other than Siri, with one notable exception. So uh, we every year we set up a Christmas tree, and one of my favorite things about like you can get these just these little easy things. We just got a little uh, Belkin Wemo um, yeah. smart switch, and it just makes stuff like so easy because then you can turn on and off the Christmas tree lights just by asking for them. But whenever she would ask Echo to turn on the Christmas tree, it would say, "I don't know what you mean by Christmas three, the number three. Oh. 
And it didn't matter how she said it, it would never understand it. But then I then I solved it again with just a smart assistant thing of I just set it to turn on and off at certain times. And if we weren't at home, not to turn on at all. So like little stuff like that. I, I like being able to do that. They're the benefits that we get from smart assistants. But nevertheless, the echo is is what has won out here. Um, so I would just say like our main smart assistant product is a second generation Echo Show, which is the 10 inch one and an Echo Dot, which we have in the bedroom. Then that's, that's the second generation one as well. So we have older products there. The new Echo Show is super cool looking. It looks like the old iMac G4. <laughs> like it's got like the little base and the screen hangs off it. And it has got a cool feature that you can... Uh, you can have it follow you around, like if you use it for video calling, which we don't do. But if that's the thing that you do, and and it will, if you're moving around, the actual screen will will turn to face you. I just think it's a super cool feature. Like why not? But yeah, yeah we've kind of solidified around Amazon here because uh, I think when it comes to smart assistants, Amazon are the leader. They made this a thing for one, right? Like they I mean, they Alexa. made <laughs> yeah they they made this category. Um, as a thing that people would want and then they're like you know because one of the things that we absolutely love the uh, grocery company that we use we have a lot of groceries delivered we were doing this pre-pandemic uh, we, we've been doing this for years because we don't have a car so like a big grocery shop is almost impossible yeah. for yeah, us to do enough. right uh, and so we've been using a grocery delivery company and they have an echo skill so we can just say like tell uh like just say hey add this to the shopping trolley and it will just add it to our cart with the shopping provider that we use so fantastic it's just like little like you know you're cooking you realize you're out of this source or whatever and you just ask the echo to put it in your shopping trolley for you don't need to do anything and everything's done over voice and it got better with the echo show than when we were doing it with the regular one because on the show it shows you the product it's like, is this nice. the one you want? And you say yes. Like, it's that's you know. So we we're big fans of the Echo family of products. Yeah. So, I have basically taken our smart assistants out of the house. So, like I said, okay. we used to use uh, Google Assistant everywhere. We do have a Nest Hub, the the second gen. But I'll, I'll tell you what, that thing. Uh, it is a YouTube machine for the kitchen, <laughs> essentially, and okay. a nice little wallpaper display. We don't really have anything connected to it. We use uh, the Echo Show with a gallery of album, Im- like gallery of images, and it just cycles through them. It's like just a really nice little basic thing that it does. Yeah, to, and I, you know, I find that these assistants with the screens are really nice to see. You know, like yep. when I'm walking by, I'll see calendar and whatnot pop up. But I don't really use it with voice much. It's not something that it's not like I said. It's not really connected to much of anything. It's really just a display in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and that kind of follows up with the lighting side of things too where i have not installed any hues whatsoever in the house i actually like hues and this is more one of those things that it's probably more so that i just never really got around to changing a million light bulbs but i didn't find it was massively useful to control them with the voice and going back to the switches is fine i feel like i'm i'm going old school man i'm like i'm in my i'm in my outhouse I'm in my, 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 I'm lighting my candles at night. Uh, you know, the sun goes down and it's bedtime for, for Austin and family. It's, it's an old school approach, but you know, I, I can't say it's been a while since I've had all this stuff like active and running every day. I can't say that I miss it. Like it was a couple weeks where I'm like, oh, I kind of miss saying, Hey, 
wake word, turn on the lights or turn off the lights or whatever. Mm. But I was never, I think the difference is, like when you're saying like, you know, you're building these like automations and you're telling the tree to turn on and off automatically, I was always lazy with this, right? Yeah. I never set up anything like that. I was always, even we did have, you know, the whole house full of this stuff. It was always very basic things. Turn on the lights, turn off the lights, turn on this music in this room. Like it was very, very basic kind of stuff because I never really cared enough to actually go through and do all the custom things. And so now that those basic things are gone and out of the life, I Mm. don't, I don't miss it, man. I don't miss it that much. Yeah, we only have a few automations. And I actually prefer to do the automations in Apple's Home app. I find that really reliable. Um, And so we have a couple more of like, when I get to the studio, we have a couple of lamps with uh, hue bulbs in them. And they turn on when we arrive, turn off when we leave. And with the, uh, the ones that we have at home, they will turn on at night if we're not home. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we only have uh, we have a like basically like a lamp at home. We have two kind of like standing floor lamps, and they have the hue color bulbs in them. Because throughout the house, especially in like our main living room kitchen area, we have those spotlight bulbs, and hue make those spotlight bulbs. But I totaled it up, and it would have cost like four hundred pounds to to oh. replace them out. Right. Whoa. This was this was like five years ago as well. So this stuff was more expensive. And I was like, there's just no way I'm doing that. But the lamp that we use, we love it. And and I really like the color bulbs. I, I wouldn't do this if it was just the white bulbs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually use the color a lot. So like whether we have like a bright light in, you know, or we have like a warmer light color. And also like Adina has a couple of like um, color options that she likes to set to at different times in the day and stuff. So we we really get a lot of use out of that. Like honestly, the the hue bulb that we in lamps for us is like enough of a reason to have the smart assistant, just so we can just say like, "Hey, turn on the lights," and it just or turn off the lights and it works. Like we 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 really like that kind of stuff. It, it's simple, but it's worked for us. And I have a couple of other products that we use that have some smarts to them. Um, we have both one at home and one at the studio these dyson like it's basically an all-round product it is a air purifier and a fan and a heater nice and it's called dyson pure hot and cold like that's uh, hot and cool they're the name of the product so we use those um for all of those things right to warm up a room to cool down a room and to purify the air and this particular model that we use has uh it has an app but it also has integrations with the ah, echo as well nice 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 so you can turn those on um and then also we have a we have a roomba of course you got to have the roomba got to have a Look, roomba man, i i had a roomba for a long time i really liked it eventually i had a house with stairs and it couldn't really i well, didn't want to put one up how many downstairs. roombas do you need right you get like yeah, yeah, four yeah. roombas sometimes it was gonna, it's, it's it was gonna get a little ridiculous yeah but uh my wife actually does have one of the dyson fans uh it's not that it's not as cool as yours it just is it doesn't have an app it doesn't have the air purifier but it does have the fan and it does have the heater which yep. she uses all the time um but yeah I, i've looked at those the thing with the the ones that are the smart enabled uh, devices, that seems like the smarter move, right? Because you know you can have it automatically run for I don't know a couple hours in the middle of the day if you're gone. Yep. You can have it automatically kind of track your temperature and whatnot if it's reporting out. That makes a lot of sense to me. They're expensive, those ones, but mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Like especially at the studio, because I mean we have heating, but it can't be controlled. Like we have to be there. So like 
we have quite a big space. It can get cold. So like yeah. I can turn that on early in the morning and then when I get to the studio, it's, it's you know, like I'm not waiting a while for it to really kind of warm up in there. Like I have like a base level. So I really like it for that. Um, so yeah, I, I like that. I have uh, we as well one of the older ones, like I think one of the previous series ones. I think it's probably the one that your wife has, which is just, it's a smaller one and it does hot and cool. And I was so sold on that that when eventually it came time to upgrade, we went for the the big boys. Yeah, they're really solid, right? I mean, I feel like certainly they're expensive. Certainly you could get something that is cheaper, but they're not super loud. They look nice. They work mm-hmm. well. It's one of those things. It's the, one of the rare products that I feel like is actually worth the added price tag over the competitors. Yeah, and don't forget, we don't have air conditioning here in the UK. So oh, when we do get super uh, hot in summer, we need fans, right? So that's like another reason. The, as well, like that thing, it puts out a lot of cool air. It's... It it's one of the only products that I've found where it can be uh I don't know whether it's like we're having like 80, 90 degree days, um, and I can sleep comfortably at night with that because it, it will cool me down enough that I could still have like a blanket on me or whatever to sleep with. Um so that's really important when you've got these like we we're getting these wild summers here in the UK for I'm sure no reason at all uh, why the temperatures <laughs> keep changing in the summer, and so it can be very helpful to have these products when you do not have air conditioning. Man, I live in California. If I don't have air conditioning, I'm not happy. Unless I I'm not fortunate enough to live five seconds from the beach and have that nice cool air. Man, it gets hot. I gotta have AC. I gotta have heat. I'm a very spoiled person in my ancient wigwam with my candles and my, you know, the Google Assistant is yelling at the, in at the clouds. Box. You like put it in a little <laughs> soundproof box over there. Oh, don't get me started, man. Don't get me started. Oh.